Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting for the Matrix on the 25th of March 2013. Newcomers, as always, help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see a bunch of other sites listed there. These are the official sites I have. And you'll find uh, audios, lots of audios for download for free on all of those sites. And if you find sticking on one, try another because lots of folks go into the com site at the same time. And they carry transcripts as well for prints up in English, all those sites. If you go into Alan Watts Sentin- Sentinel.eu, you can get transcripts in other languages to choose from. And also, too, uh, I remember, too, uh, I should always remind you, I should say, too, that um, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't advertise uh, or get money from advertisers. I don't bring them on as guests and so on and sell you things. I have no shares or anything to do with advertisers at all, in fact. And it's up to you to keep me taking over by getting the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, I can still use personal checks or international postal money orders or send cash or use PayPal. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal. And straight donations are really seriously welcome as we go into austerity, the forced austerity that's, that was designed a long time ago to happen, long before they, they, they crashed the banks. And, of course, the banks didn't really crash. They all went on queue when it was time to happen. They lost nothing at all. In fact, they benefited an awful lot. And the boys, the big bankers, benefited even more because now they have more power than ever over the countries that they helped sink and plunder because we bailed them all out. And so we're, we're, in, we're back in debt to them, in fact, for bailing them out because we have to borrow money from bankers to bail them out. It's a beautiful roundabout system, isn't it? And uh, they can't lose. They cannot lose. But more power than ever, and that's to get, bring in your forced austerity for a post-consumerist society. That's all part of it. That's what all this communitarianism stuff is in Britain and uh, the, the big society, all of this kind of stuff across Europe. It's all part of the same agenda. And now they're sucking the U.S. and all the other countries into it too. So as I say, help yourself to the website. I go through all of this at cuttingforthematrix.com and I go through the big organizations and foundations that were set up in the early 20th century. They'd already existed before that under different names, of course. And you find that private organizations, so-called philanthropic organizations, uh, run the world. Uh, they're owned by the biggest bankers of the planet who lend to whole nations and they set up their foundations as tax-free foundations under the guise of charities and, and they hire and, and create lots of NGOs, non-governmental organizations which constantly lobby uh, governments for laws to be changed on behalf of these big international bankers. It's very simple. And they tell you today that uh, it's just too, democracy will never work because it's too complicated. The system now is too complicated. Well, it's too complicated because, as I say, democracy was bypassed at the very beginning. 
the very, very beginning of the idea by these big private uh, philanthropic organizations that were, that were owned by the big banks and, and bankers. And they had no intention of letting the people have democracy. It's much better to make them believe they have because a, a, a slave who doesn't know he's a slave is a better worker. He'll produce more than one that, who, who actually knows he's a slave. They knew that from the feudal system when, when the peasants or serfs uh, would put so much energy into their work because they knew they were slaves, basically. So you're into the new society, the new world order, the great transition, they call it too. Many names for the same thing, Millennium Project, Agenda 21, and it's a change the whole, the way that everyone lives. And incredible indoctrination at school to prepare the children into the new system, of course. So they'll never be able to think outside the box. And believe you me, the scientific indoctrination techniques that are used in school are really very effective, incredibly effective. They're, they're dreamed up by neuroscientists and behaviorists and psychologists. They all work on this. And so the children have no chance at all to ever mature their minds and think for themselves. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. Now, as I mentioned earlier too, that uh, we're always getting prepared for the next step and the next step and the next step. And there's actually a technique too of preparing the minds of the, the general population because the general population, as Jack C. Law said, don't really reason or think through things. All the media, they're overdosed with media and bits and bites and of information. Uh, but the, it's like it comes through you through osmosis. Uh, it bypasses reasoning or anything else. And it's simply there implanted in your mind by professional techniques. So you, you'll find that people don't reasonably think about things or, or reason why things happen. It just happens to them and they accept it as being quite natural. But they're actually being prepared for it too. And as I mentioned earlier, that the the whole idea of the, of the governments and all governments being just too uh, complex today to leave it all to governments, that's why they farm it out, all out to private interest groups and so on, and private corporations, the dealings with government is nonsense. The whole idea of the the Milner Group, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, that set up the first found, big foundations, private organizations to run the world, and then followed by the Rockefeller, Ford, Carnegie, and all the rest of them, was to uh, really start advising governments on what to do. And, and they technically they took over government a long, long time ago by this method. And they're, they're really on a roll today. And that's why it's complex, because the government has been bypassed now with all these these incredible uh, foundations and think tanks, etc., that work for the foundations advising governments on where it's all going, on behalf of the big international banks, and, and of course, in, all, in behalf, too, of all the incredible amounts of big international companies that are owned by the big bankers. They own most of them, you understand. All the, all the big international companies you hear about are owned by the same little group of international banks. So anyway, they set up for themselves naturally, and they also believed that they could bring in a planned society, a more effective, efficient society to serve them better. And I mean serve them better too, because they really aren't eugenics. They believe that they're the most superior people on the planet, 
They've acquired incredible wealth through generations. They've held on to it through generations and special, really selective breeding. They don't just marry uh, willy-nilly. They, they, they have their marriages arranged for them. And they really are into genetics. Always have been. It's, very, it's thousands of years old, actually, the whole idea of, of special breeding. And... Um, and therefore, they're pretty well assured that their sons, especially, will turn out to be exactly as they are and go into the same professions, intergenerational professions in the same, in the same fields. It's quite, quite simple, but very old science. And it's all here. And they believe, too, they've got the right to go on into the future. And their offspring are first up on their foremost on their mind. So they make sure their offspring will have all the same wealth and power uh, that it brings to go on into their future, too. They live through their children, you might say. And uh, folk don't really understand that today. We, we get the politicians thrown in front of our faces that are selected, pre-selected by bigger, these same big organizations. They admit, they admit themselves, at least the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations admits that you haven't had a prime minister or president for now for a hundred years that wasn't their boy on any party. They always have the leaders. It doesn't matter about the rest. You get leaders in, in the coterie around them and that's all they need. The rest don't, don't matter. So you're, you're, it's not complex at all. It certainly appears to be more, more complex because we accept the system as it is. And it's a, a complex state. Now, even the G20 and all the other G8s and G10s and so on that they've created were supranational organizations where nobody was asked, no citizen of any country was asked, do you mind if your president or prime minister forms a, 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 a club, a secretive club in cahoots with other prime ministers and presidents to, to run the world internationally and deal with, deal with free trade and so on? Uh, no one was asked about this, but now we accept it as being normal because we were quiet all about, about it. We're, legally, we acquiesced to it. We gave our consent by, by silence. And that's how things work. And yet people go on, as, as always, and vote nationally. But these guys are already telling you they're international. And they're redistributing your wealth across the world, not to where you think it's going or, 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 you, be, or uh, you are led to where you think it's going. It's going to the big international corporations that's set up in third world countries. Because the biggest welfare there is, is corporate welfare. And that's your job, is to supply them with all the tax dollars to, to expand and get bigger and bigger and bigger and get more power. And at the same time too, and I've said that for years and years and years, even before 9-11 happened, I said when the US has finished its job as the big military arm for this new world order, supplying the men, material, and taxes, of course, that pays for it all, as they standardize the world for another group, on behalf of another group, uh, the, the rug would be pulled out from underneath them at home. Because they knew darn well they'd bring into austerity and so on. And they're doing that today and across the rest of the so-called first world countries. And you have the big uh, exclamations up there in the newspapers from Paul Ehrlich and different ones over the, over the last few months reiterating the idea of the complete deindustrialization and bringing the first world countries down to uh, a proper level of um, population and, and so on and so on. So it's the same old agenda that's been here for a long, long time, but now they're really forcing it into place. And now as they do this too, under the guise of uh, global warming and greenhouse gases, etc., 
which is nothing but a guise and a ruse to, to again uh, fleece the public of their extra money. So you'll have no free spending money. All your cash will go to pay for rents and mortgages and, and fees and taxes and carbon taxes and everything else in a post-consumer society. That's how it's planned out, you see. But as it's all happening too, uh, you're finding the, the, the side effects are rippling across the world, across places like Britain, for instance. This article here says this, that Britain, Britain's gas reserves, its natural gas, are running out of in 36 hours. They've got 36 hours stored up in advance, that's about it. Amid an unreasonable cold weather. Unreasonable? This is this is what winter is. Leaving the country on expensive uh, foreign imports, uh, the local media reported. According to the British media reports, the country's gas storage has less than two days' supplies left, with lower than usual temperatures f- uh, forcing millions to turn up their heating. Now, I think 5,000 have already died in Britain in their homes uh, at this March. This March already. See, they've got Britain ahead of other countries. Britain's always a flagship for this New World Order idea, since the whole idea was concentrated by the boys and started by the boys who lived in London. And uh, so whatever they do for the rest of the world, they do there first, and then it spreads. So they're on fuel poverty, as they call it there, and get rations for fuel poverty. And the elderly and all the rest of it get their fuel rations. And they don't get enough. Well, they just, they just don't uh, turn uh, on any heating, and they freeze to death. And that's quite normal now. People accept it as normal. We're always accepting new normals, you see, as we're trained. But it says the shortfall could force the long-term price of gas higher, and analysts warn tariffs are likely to rise by up to 15% before next winter. Since there's no other Western economy of our size that uses as much gas as we do, but has so little storage, the Daily Mail quoted energy analyst Peter Atherton is saying. But the fact is, you see, um, Britain's got had stacks of gas, and all the North Sea gas too was internationalized when Thatcher was and she gave it all to foreign uh, rigs. And um and really, so you see, you're already international. It doesn't matter about supplying you at home. There's no such thing as looking after your own country first. That's out the door. Even your food supplies, it's the same thing. Now it's up on the global casino with the market, you see. So if you go under, it's just tough, tough cheese for a lot of folk that can't afford it or can't do, get anything else, and you just die. It's quite simple. Quite simple. And with all the experts out there, they know what they're going to bring down long before all, the, all this, this happened. They knew it was going to happen. It says, according to the source, the UK has only 15 days of storage capacity, given the current level of consumption, which is less than any of its European neighbours. Like they just forgot that this could happen? Come on, come on. You don't employ and spend, spend so much cash on supposedly the best experts. They don't make these mistakes, folks. It doesn't happen. They're selling off your gas. The reason for their fracking in the US was overcome, all, the, all the, 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 the antithesis against fracking, in fact, was overcome by saying, well, we need it here, and, and America must be self-efficient, sufficient. And was, as soon as they've got out of the ground, what they're doing, they're selling it off to India. See, the constant liars. was well, the same with Britain, too. They've been selling it off abroad. It doesn't matter about the people at home. These corporations have no allegiance to, to, their, to the people they live amongst. None at all. None whatsoever. They're internationals. So on Friday, the price of wholesale gas surged to a record high after the unexpected closure of the UK-Belgian interconnector, one of the UK's biggest import pipelines. The price of gas for same-day delivery jumped as much as 50%. 
In addition to that, Norway plans to reduce the capacity of its pipeline for maintenance work in April. Under those circumstances, the UK could become more dependent on imports. This is the, this is the country that for, since the 1970s had, had all these oil rigs out in the North Sea and they're, they're just, and they're giving it away, selling it away to foreign companies. That's not, see this, people will still go and vote nationally what they think is a national government. You don't have national governments today. You don't have them. They're all put in there by the big international boys. Your governments and all the guys you vote for are put in there by them, not you. And that's the agenda. So it's all going down. Now, there's a lot of news, of course, about China. And again, a button has been switched across the world. They've got all these special deals going on and new buzz terms, which will come normal very quickly. But it says Australia is a reliable supplier. I said this would happen to Australia. Of resources for China's growth. That's the only function it has now. It's a satrapy of China, for those who don't quite get it. And the Institute for, for Pacific Relations is an arm, a branch of the Council on Foreign Relations or Royal Institute for International Affairs. For, for 60 to 70 years, they were working on setting up the whole Pacific Rim region as a region under the auspices of China. They helped build up China. They also helped put through the World Trade Organization and the GATT Treaty that that brought all the factories from the West to China. China did not pull itself up by its own bootstraps. Didn't happen. Didn't happen, folks. And now all these countries, Australia, New Zealand, were all given to China as satrapies. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix, trying to show people that uh, everything's planned way in advance. Because I mentioned before that the Royal Institute of International Affairs are different branches working on the Pacific Rim region and uh, to set up a region as far back as the 1930s to make, they knew where they were going then, a united Europe would have happened. And even close to World War II, they knew it was coming on, they knew they'd come out of it and win. And they also were talking at the meetings in Australia when they had their world meeting there in the 37, I think it was 1937, Melbourne, for the CFR, Royal Institute of International Affairs, and, and they talked about setting China up as a big industrial power, the biggest one the world had ever seen. And bingo, they made it all happen. So the future's always planned by those who hold power. I'm talking about real power, not the guys who get voted in and out, but the guys who put them into parliaments and, and governments and so on. So as I say, Australia is now really a supplier of raw resources to, to, to China. And it says, Australia has now firmly established itself as a reliable supplier of the resources that sustain China's growth, the Minister for Resources and Energy, Martin Ferguson, said in a speech Tuesday. And uh, at the, the, the Australia-China Business Council, Canberra. So this is illustrated by the fact that China was both the biggest export and import market for Australians in 2012 to combine total value of 120 billion Australian dollars. Sounds awfully nice, the way the, the PR stuff doesn't it? So this has in turn created countless opportunities for social and economic development across both countries. Don't forget, these are all private industries he's talking about. And they even bring in their own labor, a lot of them, from China. Ferguson said that the energy and resources sector continues to, to be the cornerstone of economic ties between Australia and China. He estimated that China will drive the estimated one-third increase in global energy demand that the International Energy Agency expects to occur between now and 2035, along with India. 
it's just a, fantastic to me to see them all write this a long time ago, and here it all is. Even before I was born, <laughs> they knew where they were going to bring all of this. So it says that China is the largest consumer of minerals such as iron, ore, aluminum, copper, accounting for almost 40% of the global consumption of each. With its rich and diverse resource base, he said Australia will continue to be a major supplier of these materials. Well, take it from Canada and other countries that uh, when you end up being simply exporters of raw resources, your economy plummets and your wages plummet. Everything plummets. Because it's only industry and the creation of things out of the raw materials really sets up the wealth system. And also, there's an article here by Kissinger on China too. It says Kissinger. Now Kissinger's been a big player in the promotion of this through Trilateral Commission, which is again the higher branch of the Council on Foreign Relations. And he's been talking about China for more oh, many, many years. And He's actually using the, 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 the closer ties, uh, terminology that they used with when they amalgamate countries together with this article I'm going to read in a minute. I mean, Britain used it uh, as, as they were signing further integration into Europe over 30 years. They kept saying Prime Minister's off to signing documents for closer ties to Europe and that they were binding you into it totally. And Kissinger is very similar uh, with this on China. Back in the 70s or 80s, it was, he was was talking in California, and he said if a real catastrophe happened, he said Americans would welcome uh, UN forces coming in from China to to help. And everybody was shocked at the time. They didn't want U.S. um, and China troops to come in to the the U.S. But listen to this article. Kissinger urges enhanced Sino-U.S. military ties as Chinese. His former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger said Beijing and Washington should improve communications between their militaries when he spoke at the China Development Forum over the weekend. While China is gaining more influence internationally, both in terms of economic and military power, there was bound to be friction with other countries, including the U.S., he said, but it was unwise for the two countries to engage in an arms race. Relations between the U.S. and China have mainly focused on mutually beneficial economic activities, Kissinger said, to avoid conflicts that might be triggered by misconception of the other side's military plans. He said both countries should strengthen communication by, for example, arranging for exchange trips between military school students. So you get military school students coming into from China into the U.S. And what they've been doing in Canada for years, by the way, this kind of stuff, from Russia and elsewhere. And I, I met some of them in a, a place I used to live. Uh, they had a, a base not too far. And they come into the town some, so often and see me in coffee shops and so on. And I, I met some of the Russian ones. I said, well, what, what are you learning at the base? They were learning about our social laws, civic laws. Why do you need to know about civic laws? You only need that when, when, you, when you're under martial law. And people come in and they know all your local codes and laws and all the rest of it. That's what you get taught. So anyway, says the resulting level of trust between the two countries' militaries would enable the countries to concentrate on developing healthy economic and political relations while contributing to keeping down other countries' arms spending. So we get in bed together to keep everybody else's arms spending down. That's the idea. The remarks come as the U.S. government and as many, many of China's neighbors are actually increasingly concerned of how China's new president and military chief, Xi Jinping, I always call him Kingpin, uh, might work to strengthen the nation's military power, especially amid disputes with countries including Japan and Philippines over territorial claims in the Pacific. 
So anyway, he wants to do this, this exchange of military galleys and all the rest of it. And soon you'll see American troops trading with, uh, with Chinese. Isn't that something, eh? Hmm? Quite something. Remember, China's still a communist, isn't it? Isn't it? And this article here is, is interesting, too, because it's to do with uh, the cold in Britain again. The UK's coldest spring since 1963 claimed 5,000 lives. The spring, not the whole winter, just this March. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the people in Britain dying in their homes because they can't get enough fuel or, or afford the fuel. That's the, this is the beautiful progress we're all going through. It's called progress, you understand, the system. Set up to, to kill as many off as you can. There's many ways of, of eugenics, positive and negative eugenics. Negative, there's many ways of killing people off. Quite simple. The undesirable ones are going to be the poorest ones, you see. And they've got more on rationing uh, fuel and so on. Every year it's the same rationing fuel. But this is 2,000 extra deaths were registered in the first two weeks of March compared with the average for the same period for the past five years. As for fe- uh, February, 3,057 extra deaths were registered in England and Wales compared with the five-year average for the month. Campaigners at Age UK, which says 26,000 people die needlessly every winter, said the current weather could prove deadly for thousands more. This is normal now, and we accept it. Of course, they're growing all green and so on. They're growing all green and they're closing down all the coal plants and stuff like that. So they the leave them on the, the, the gas, which they're also selling abroad, and until there's not enough left at home, because they've got to be on gas now. And, and Britain's always been this, this socialistic system where they'll outlaw things and then force you into one, one way of doing something. They've been doing that with heating since as long as I can remember, from coal to coke. Then they changed all the fireplaces for coke, and then they changed them again to bring in national, uh, natural gas, etc. And it was going to be a boom. And cheap, cheap, cheap. They said it was always going to be cheap. As well, poured our tax money into these private corporations by the billions. And here you are. See, nothing. It's everything they do is a scam. And folk will not stand up and, and just say, yeah, we're getting scammed to death here, literally. It's time they did. It's time they did. When you're being killed off, you better do something. Now, this article too has to do with these special economic zones. Now, special economic zones uh, first were talked about and brought in when FDR was in the 1930s. Folk don't know that either, because he was an internationalist as well. Everything they're doing today, he wanted to bring in back then, because he knew the agenda, he was part of it too. So it says, six-point growth plan Berlin proposes European special economic zones. With Europe beginning to look for alternatives to its exclusive focus on austerity, the German government has developed a six-point plan to foster economic growth in Europe, Spiegel has learned, including the proposal as a creation of special economic zones in struggling Eurozone countries. And it says, um, it said, uh, 
The proposal is part of a six-point plan the German government plans to introduce into discussion on measures to stimulate economic growth taking place in the European Union. The proposal also calls for the country to set up trusts, uh, trust, yeah, similar to the Trohan Trust created in Germany at the time of reunification and then sold off most of its former East Germany state-owned enterprises in order to divest those countries' numerous government-owned companies. Also calls for the countries to adopt Germany's dual education system, which combines a standardized practical education and a vocational school with an apprenticeship in the field, the same field that a company in order to combat high youth unemployment. The plan recommends that countries with high unemployment also adopt reforms undertaken by Germany, including a loosening of provisions that make it difficult to fire permanent employees and to create employment relationships with lower tax burdens and social security contributions. And it goes on and on and on about it, what's all about. But it's not happening on its own in one place, by the way. Because you also have this, it says, single SES are calling them these special economic zones. Status boost for smart city projects. So now the smart city, the IBM smart city projects combined with this special economic zones system. And this is from India. It says, with the union uh, government granting single special economic zones, so there's a, a union government granting single special economic zones status to the entire smart city land. A major hurdle before the project seems to be over. Construction can start immediately as there won't be any more change in the master plan, which is almost complete. The master plan sounds amazing, eh? Had the entire 246 acres earmarked for the project not got the single SEZ standard or status, the master plan would have required changes so as to provide separate allied infrastructure for each land. It's quite an amazing new way of doing business. And believe you me, it's only a few folk at the top who are going to benefit from all of this. I'll put this link up tonight as well. And also put up uh, an article that explains the, who all attended this SEZ meeting, international, that was on, and what it's all about. explains itself what it's all about. And you've got to understand what's going on, because uh, it also ties in with Agenda 21, with special zones for everything. And this article here is pretty good. It says, my original headline for this piece was, I, I bloody well told you so. That's what it says from Britain. That's from uh, tele- the Telegraph. Says, but, but I'll save that for another occasion. All I wanted to note really was that these last few days, the argument appears to have been going very much my way. I'm thinking of Charles Moore in the Telegraph telling it like it is about Cyprus. After victory in 1945, Churchill broadcast that Germany allies uh, prostrate before us today. Most of the southern Europe lies prostrate before Germany today. Isn't that amazing reversal? And the mighty Booker sticking it to the politicians responsible for energy crisis says, This is all insane in so many ways that one can scarcely know where to begin. He said to point out that even if a ruler somehow managed to subsidize firms into spending a hundred million pounds on all those wind farms they dream of, they will still need enough new gas-fired power stations to provide backup for all the times when the wind isn't blowing, at the very time when the carbon tax will soon make it uneconomical, make it uneconomical for anyone to build them. It says, time for the coalition to tear up its energy policy before the lights really do go out. The first priority must be to repeal the Climate Change Act of 2008 with its brutal, punishing targets. And of course, that's logic, but they're not going to do it. Uh, they're going to go the whole way, and, and lots are going to die, just like this winter. 
So you had an even a glorious yada dada moment on Question Time, that's a TV program last week when Michael Gove destroyed one of Labour's more assiduous uh, cant spewers, Emily Thornberry. Obviously, I'm not trying to cam, claim any personal credit for this. Booker, for example, was an outspoken critic of climate nonsense long before I joined the fray. All I mean is that the mood is shifting, the sense of exasperation and despair is growing, and detecting more of a no-prisoners attitude amongst commentators. Charles Moore is a particularly good example, who might once have been more measured. The clever people are coming over a bit more. Delling poll, and I like this a lot because it makes me feel less like a freak and more like an, an outlier. I call this piece Worse is Better because it's what Nigel Farage said to me the other day, quoting Lenin. Farage, of course, is another of those people who totally gets it. As I'd say, do the many people who are coming over to the UK and IP, UK Independence Party. These times we're beginning to appreciate are not like other times. There's simply no precedent for this kind of depression we're experiencing now. It's not a recession, it's a depression, right? Certainly not for the way our political class, in league with the bankers and corporatists and their inevitable battery of lawyers, are conspiring against the people and adopting measures absolutely guaranteed to make things worse. Energy is just a case in point. I think Booker is absolutely right to describe the crazy quest of CO2 reduction at all costs as arguably the greatest act of political irresponsibility in our history. There's no logic to it. It's insanity. And I think everybody in the country, barring the, the spivs in the renewable industry, the green activists and the bubble-enclosed political class, is fully aware of this, which really makes it only scarier because if so many of us know it's wrong, how come this ugly business is able to carry on regardless? I'm trying to think what consolation we can draw from this. Not much, I'd say, only what the title says. We've all grown far too complacent about the political process. We're insufficiently demanding of what we have a right to expect from a political class. And I don't mean crap like being a good constituency MP and making sure there are no potholes in Acacia Avenue. And until we've shaken properly out of our comfort zone, I don't think meaningful change can occur. There isn't much good news around at the moment. Indeed, there's only one thing I read recently that cheered me up from my gold bug friends as the real asset company. Enjoy. It gives you a link to that one, too. But uh, this is what's happening, folks. I mean, your government is completely on a different, uh, they're they're in a different universe than you are. You understand that? And they really don't care. They really don't care what happens to the people. I'm not kidding you. They know what's happening, but they don't care. This has got to go through. It's, it's like bankrupting the whole of Europe to save a couple of countries. Bankrupt them all instead of just letting two go down. And this is their agenda. When they say they're, they're, they're great euro or, or, or nothing, simple as that. At any cost. Up to you, that is. To you. And also, too, this article says, a safe and a shotgun or publicly owned banks, the Battle of Cyprus. It says, Tuesday, March 19th, the National Legislature of Cyprus overwhelmingly rejected a proposed levy on bank deposits as a condition for a European bailout. Reuters called it a stunning setback for the 17-nation currency bloc, but it was a stunning victory for democracy. As Reuters quoted one 65-year-old pensioner, the voice of the people was heard, because they all said no. The EU had warned that it would withhold 10 billion euros in bailout loans and the European Central Bank had threatened to end emergency lending assistance for distressed Cypriot banks unless depositors, including small savers, shared the cost of the rescue. In other words, they want to steal your bank accounts. You know, that's what it means. 
and the deal rejected by the legislature, a one-time levy on depositors would be required in return for a bailing out of the bank system. Deposits below 100,000 euro would be subject to a 6.75 levy, while those over 100,000 euros would have been subjected to a 9.99 fine. The move was bold, but the battle isn't over yet. The EU has now given Cyprus uh, more, a few more days to raise the billions of euros it needs to clinch an international bailout or face the threat and collapse of its financial system. Well, they should do the same as, as Iceland did. That's what they should do right now in, in Cyprus. That's what they should do to save it. Also, the, even the head guy of the, the Orthodox Church there, who's got quite a lot of power over in Cyprus, has come out and said the same thing. We've got to pull out with this euro nonsense, he says. Pull right out of it. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. Also, I'll put up tonight too, for those who don't understand the Gen T1, there's got this, uh, it's called the Gen 21 course, Understanding Sustainable Development and How It Affects You. And I'll put this up tonight too, for those who want to get into the nitty gritty stuff, because it's, it's got everything on it, um, all the different terms, and uh, you, you get to understand them all, and how it's been put across, and what the goals are, and who's going to profit. Of course, it's not going to be any of you lot. And we pretty well know. China has to create an 800 million tax-free entertainment culture hub in Beijing. $800 million. Right? See, culture is awfully important for controlling the public. Right? The tax-free culture zone will include TV and film facilities and is modelled after the special economic zones that made the country a manufacturing superpower. The state-backed Chinese media conglomerate, so it's a communist country, right, so the state-backed, is planning to create a new $800 million tax-free arts and entertainment hub in the hope of giving the country's gradually growing culture industries a jolt. And this is a so-called Beijing Free Port of Culture. It's the creation of Beijing Yehua Cultural Development Group, a company owned by the Beijing Municipal Government. Located next to Beijing Capital Airport, the culture zone will include film and television production facilities, fine art storage and offices for companies involved in a range of creative businesses from luxury goods to software design, etc., etc. Well, I mean, there's money for you. Big cash, you know. And it's tax-free for those involved. You know? So, very important thing for them, of course, is the culture industry. They've all got to get their indoctrinations too, you see. And this one, too, is to do with drones, of course. And we know that drones in the U.S. are flying from all over different places in the U.S., but now they're put out. Uh, one of their biggest bases to, is to be situated uh, in another place, too, it says. The National Guard Bureau has authorized the wing to establish a ground control station for the MQ-9 Reaper at Horsham Air Gas uh, Guard Base, effective October the 1st. It says here, air crews perform the pre-flight check, and blah, blah, blah. But it says, um, uh, this new um, Horsham Air Guard base, effective October the 1st, um, and it says will be um, where most of them will be flying from. And I think it's also for the U.S. internally, too. So the U.S. Air Force has selected the Pennsylvania as the Air Guard, National Guard's 111th fighter wing for the new mission to get to begin October the 1st at the, at the Horsham Air Guard base. 75 full-time, 175 part-time positions are expected to be added to the wing as it establishes a ground control station for the MQ-9 Reaper unmanned aircraft system. Drones will not be flown in and out of Horsham. Rather, the remotely piloted aircraft will be controlled by the military unit stationed at the base from a virtual cockpit by two-person teams consisting of a pilot and sensor operator. So that's where a lot of the stuff's to start. And they will definitely move them into U.S. as well for what's happening inside the U.S. 
And this one here has to do with, again, this global warming nonsense. It says Greenland ice melt was overestimated due to satellite data algorithm issue. This is uh, the melt extent algorithm used by Greenland Ice Sheet today has been overestimating the melt extent. And as a result, daily images posted on the site in February and March may have been indicated melt where none occurred. Makes you wonder what other kinds of issues remain undetected in the satellite data. This is NSIDC had to issue corrections in the past when it's pointed out that their data and reality didn't match. The algorithm for the Greenland ice sheet today, uh, melt extent, has been revised to account for the unusually warm winter's uh, snow layers and residual meltwater deep in the snow. Meltwater from last summer's intense melt season did not completely refreeze, though at least through to December. The adjusted algorithm shows greatly reduced melt extent for early 2013. Uh, This much lowers extent, uh, and it's more consistent with available weather and climate records, it says. So I'll put this up night too. Everything they do is, oh, we got our sums wrong. You know, I mean, it's just, it's all this nonsense all the time. As the, the world goes into the Great Depression, number two, and by design, uh, then the, the suicide rate skyrockets. And this article here talks about it. More young men die each day as a result of suicide rather than road accidents, HIV, and assaults combined according to a charity, it says. And it says, um, suicide is now the biggest killer of young men across the UK. It shows that uh, there rose significantly in 2011. It says a total of 6,045 people taking their own life. 4,552 of them were men. The highest rate was in the male age bracket, 30 to 44. And the recession is thought to be playing a part in many of the deaths. Well, no kidding. They've no future. They've no future. And... Um, these are guys at that particular age where they're supposed to have been starting to make it in life, in their 30s. And uh, they've been told there is no future. So what did they do? They kill themselves. So uh, so, the reason for suicide are complex and often very individual. Jane Powell from Campaign Against Living Miserably. Who would have thought Campaign Against Living Miserably told Sky News? And uh, it goes on and on about what, what's happening, social isolation, because we can't go for to go anywhere, our clubs and so on, and meet people. And there's no work. That's the reason for the suicide rate going up. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about the the side effects, of course, the natural um, pre-planned side effects, because they knew what was going to happen long before all these policies were introduced that made it all happen, the folk dying in the winters and so on, as we get forced into what's called austerity, you see. And this um, this uh, special economic zones I was talking about was in an exhibition, at a big exhibition, a world one exhibition. It's called the Second Global Free Trade and Special Economic Zones Exhibition and Summit, for those who haven't heard about it. And the media hasn't really played it up at all or told folk what's going on. But um, uh, this is where all this is going. This is the next part of the plan. All your, your top politicians know about it, obviously, because they're all part of it. And so they've decided where, where all the cash is going, because obviously there's cash probably from us, the countries are going downhill. We'll be paying for it all to happen, I guarantee you. So I'll put this link up tonight 
on the, the actual summit itself for those who want to follow it and see what's happening. Also, this article too, it says, it's payback time for insane energy policies. An obsession with CO2 has left us dangerously short of power as cold power stations are forced to close. And it says, as the snow of the coldest March since 1963 continues to fall, we learn that we have barely 40 hours worth of stored gas left to keep us warm, and that the head of our second largest electricity company, SSE, has warned that our generating capacity has fallen so low that we can expect power cuts to begin any time. It seems the perfect storm is upon us. The grotesque mishandling of Britain's energy policy by the politicians of all parties as they chase their childish chimeras of CO2-induced global warming and windmills has been arguably the greatest act of political irresponsibility in our history. I'd say the same in the US and elsewhere. Three more events last week brought home again just what a man, a mad bubble of make-believe these people are living in. Under the EU's large combustion plans directive, we lost two more major coal-fired power stations, Ditcon A and Kokenzie, capable of contributing no less than a tenth of our average electricity demands. We saw a French state-owned company, EDF, being given planning permission to spend £14 billion on two new nuclear uh, reactors in Somerset, but which it says it will only build for completion in 10 years' time, if it is guaranteed a subsidy uh, that will double the price of its electricity. We're all at the mercy of these bar stewards, you know. So it's then hidden in the small print of the budget uh, were new figures for the fast escalating tax the government introduces next week on every tonne of CO2 emitted by fossil fuel power stations, carbon tax, which will soon be adding billions of pounds more to electricity bills every year. This is an intentional takedown, and we understand what's happening. They know what they're doing. Within seven years, this new tax will rise to £30 a tonne, by 2030 to £70 a tonne, making it wholly uneconomical to generate any more electricity from the coal and gas-fired power stations that last week were still supplying two-thirds of our electricity. Put all this together, and we see more starkly than ever, the game the government is playing says it knows that no company would build wind farms unless it's given subsidies that, in effect, nearly double or treble the price of its electricity. The government will only get CO2-free nuclear power if it promises an equal subsidy. So we're all getting ripped off by blackmail, folks. Blackmail. This is, and now the coalition is also hell-bent on driving our much cheaper and more reliable coal and gas fire plants out of business. By imposing a carbon tax, it will not only eventually double the cost of electricity, but make it impossible for them to survive. An intentional takedown. And they don't give a damn about all the deaths they're causing and misery. And all your politicians are in on it, and they're all responsible. All responsible. As you bring in this forced austerity down to misery. And that's the agenda. For Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your God, school with you.